pro wrestling punditry because we're going to slam it into your ear holes here today. I am your managing editor for Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman, back to host the latest episode of The Winkley. And I am joined here as I am just about every Tuesday by my good friend Michael Weissman. Michael, welcome back to The Winkley. I don't know if I am teed up, but I am definitely teed off a little behind the scenes hobnobbing here. And that is my technology today. <clears throat> it is the uh, Skynet, Rise of Skynet, Terminator 15 or whatever it is in my household because all of my technology sucks and I had to reset everything. And maybe somebody set an EMP off near your home. Mm, you know, it could have been. For those been. That's what it likely likely to happen in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For those that aren't familiar, EMP, that's an electric magnetic pulse uh if you set it off you can shut off all the electricity within a certain area so it's an it's also what people call that kind of music when they don't know what that kind of music actually is ah the emp yes i love emp i'm down with emp you know me <laughs> they're like apparently old grannies too so there you go all right uh we're at a particular you know we're running late but i'm feeling good right now man i'm relaxed i slept well Got some coffee here. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a good show here today. Uh, we are talking all the news of the last four days. Um, now we did not do a show on last Thursday because Crown Jewels last Thursday, so we did a review show that day, which is available on the Wrestling Inc. Uh, audio iTunes channel. But we did do a Winkly on Friday, and uh, so we're only gonna recap the past four days of news. But Michael, it feels like a week has passed, like maybe a month has passed since Friday, with the amount of things that have happened here. Because of course on Friday. We were just finding out about the pro wrestlers, the WWE superstars that were stranded in Saudi Arabia. And of course, we're going to kick the show off with that. We're going to talk all about that here today. But Michael, we were literally reading the press release <laughs> that WWE sent out, and here, here we are now, Mike. We know so, oh. we know so much more about this situation now. It's so crazy because uh, number one, uh, it was fun. If you didn't check out that Friday Winkley, Nick and I did. I would consider that one of the best shows you and I have ever done together. There was just so much, and that was a jam-packed show too, right? Because you and I, from what you guys did from Wednesday with Labar to Friday, there was just all this news. So that show was crazy. Yeah. And then to come here on Tuesday. It doesn't let up at all, and it's just been a, a fantastic uh, news weekend. I don't know if fantastic in a good way, but just overwhelming way. So, um, yeah, it's, it's man, oof. oof. Well, it's, it certainly rationalizes why I have a job. Somebody needs to do this. Somebody needs to keep all this organized. <laughs> it's like pro wrestling is caught up to the speed of political news, I feel like. Yeah, well, you know, there'll be a, there will be some political uh, – we're not going to get political, but there are some politics involved with what we're going to be talking about here today. Um, so that's enough of a tease about the news. Moments away – um, but after the news here today, we have some big interviews as well on top of all the punditry we're going to be doing. Right after we finish up here, you're going to get to hear from WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley. Scott Fishman, our own Scott Fishman, he went out, he got this interview. So you're going to get to hear from Mick today. Have a nice day. That's very exciting. Also, right after Mick Foley, you're going to hear with rising independent sensation AJ Gray. Uh, AJ Gray, uh, he's very popular. He's, uh, he's a champion here at Black Label Pro, uh, but he's also going to be presenting for the culture with GCW down in Florida next WrestleMania weekend. And of course, the for the culture movement that AJ seems to have found himself in, in, in has been amplified because of Jordan Miles. So we're going to talk to AJ all about what he has planned for the for the culture show, how it feels to have gotten pulled into this kind of like hugely controversial discussion about WWE's shirt and Jordan Miles and uh and just you know get to hear his take about what it is to be on the bubble right now in this very vibrant time for pro wrestling. I love this interview. 
Uh, so that's great. And then on top of all that, Michael, after AJ Gray, we got one more. We got three interviews here today. Our own Andy Malnowski was at an 80s WrestleCon uh, last week, and he came back with like 11 interviews. So we're going to be slowly rolling these out for, I guess, weeks on the show. <laughs> You're going to be hearing a lot of Andy Malnowski on the show, which is which is fine, which is great. We love Andy. Andy's like an yes. Emmy. Andy's like won a legit Emmy, I think, for his work <laughs> in New York. So Andy Malnowski. Yeah, he's going to do it. We're going to re- we're going to release his interview that he did with Tito Santana. What a mix today! Mick Foley, AJ Gray, and Tito Santana, and us, Michael and Michael Weissman as well, and Michael Weissman. And, and you know that's a good mix there, right? You got got those three guys, Scotty Fishman up there pulling in the great interviews. If you don't if you don't know Scott, Scott's a super duper duper nice guy, one of the nicest guy in the biz. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's a good mix. I like what you're doing with the show here, Nick. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've been talking more with Raj about how you know I love the citizen journalist thing from like the Daily Show, and it's like I want to mm-hmm. empower the team. If you want to go out and get content, get cool interviews, go see cool shows. Great. We'll run it here on the weekly. This is where this is the newsroom. Of, uh, of Wrestling Inc. So you're getting it all here today, guys. Great way to start the week. So with that all said, enough shilling, enough hype. Let's get to it here. News you can use. News that'll leave a bruise. And of course, we're going to start with the Saudi Arabia fallout. Now, uh, we have we already know when we left off on Friday that the, that the superstars were still stuck in Saudi Arabia. WWE put that release out. And so we're going to pick up from there. Now, the Observer uh, reported that WWE actually considered nixing SmackDown due to all of the talent production people still stuck in Saudi Arabia. There were people stuck in Saudi, uh, and he also noted that there were also people stuck in Saudi at the time that insisted there were no mechanical issues. Um, Before we get into all of this, because we got a lot of stuff to get to here, you know, my gut instinct when we were reading that press release here the, the other day and then taking it all in was like, I'm very concerned if I'm a person of wealth or means from America getting pulled off of a plane like that and being forced into a hotel by the Saudis, where for those that don't know, like uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, when MBS came into power, um, he like kidnapped the most wealthy people in Saudi Arabia. He, mm-hmm. he and like members of his own family, right? And they took him into a hotel, maybe this hotel. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to say it was. Who knows? Who knows what hotel it was? Uh, I'm sure there are people that know, actually. I could find that out. But anyway, they took them to this hotel, and they tortured them, and they made them sign over uh, their assets and give over a bunch of money back to the kingdom so that the kingdom could use that money to theoretically grow and prosper because they felt, you know, kind of French Revolution style that the money had been hoarded up top. And at the time, I remember watching that story playing out and thinking to myself, this is insanity, right? <laughs> and, mm. like, this was also a part of – this was also at the time when MBS and the Saudis were trying to make a play for more to, – to get more Western influence. Like, they wanted to try to see more progressive. But they're doing stuff like this. And that was even before the Khashoggi stuff. Um, so if I'm in this situation – It was a form of little – literally is a form of imprisonment. But they could not imprison them in real jails because of these people's stature and wealth and everything else like that. So right. they had to imprison them in a five-star hotel. Right. And they offered them – I mean they offered them the normal amenities of a hotel, but still they could not leave. And it, yeah, that was just a, a crazy story. Yeah. And then you come in, come into Friday – yeah. And we have professional wrestlers. Oh, you were talking. Um, you were talking about the wrestlers who were forced into a five star hotel and were given all these amenities. I was like, well, but 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 <laughs> the guys that if I, I don't remember the story exactly, but the the people who were taken in as political prisoners back yeah. then that were all uh, Saudi Arabian citizens. I mean, I don't remember it being a thing where they were like 
jailed. I mean, I could be wrong, but I thought they were just literally, they showed up to a hotel thinking it was something else, like told to come. And when they got there, they were saying, well, you can't leave or we're going to keep you here and yada, yada, yada. But it was still just like a hotel, right? Uh, yeah, it was a hotel and they were all shaken down in that hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not up for debate. So it's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, it's like, if you don't know, if you don't, if you're not like a, a geopolitical person or you don't really keep up, you're just like, oh, I know people don't like, uh, they've got weird, you know, issues with Saudi about like, you know, women's rights issues or whatever it is. If, you know, go, just do a little poking around here because like my my gut instinct when I first read that was I would be crapping my pants if I was uh, in their position right then, right? Because we had already known that Vince and everybody had left as well and they were there by themselves in this, you know, and again, you know, we'll get to what everybody's comments were here in a second about this whole experience. But my gut reaction was like, this sounds this sounds terrible. <laughs> this also, terrible. these guys are exhausted. They had a you know sixteen to twenty hour plane ride to get there. They wrestled this intense show. Uh, they're getting ready to go back with the plane ride ahead of them. I mean, all of those kinds of things also heighten anxieties. You're out of your comfort zone. You're in a foreign country. Yeah, it just makes all of this ten times worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, then we started getting tweets from the wrestlers in Saudi. Rusev tweeted out at this point in time we need all the prayers dot 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 brother um an allusion to hogan who had already left saudi arabia uh buddy murphy tweeted never again (laughs) so and this was while they were still in saudi arabia you know mojo raleigh he put out a video there um nobody you know and you're in that kind of situation you know i wouldn't be tweeting right you know because it does sound like the way they feel about you may dictate if you get to leave the country or not. You know what I mean? Yes. Right. I mean, yeah, you just don't know what to do. But, I, you know, I guess Rusev's tweet, pretty innocuous here. Yeah. Buddy Murphy's tweet, a little little less so. But, yeah. Yeah. So then we get to uh, Atlas Air, the charter plane company that WWE is using. Uh, and, of course, there had been uh, it had been reported there were, there were issues with the plane. That's why mechanical issues with the plane. That's why the plane couldn't leave on time. So the chartered WWE passenger flight operated by Atlas Air is currently delayed in Riyadh. This is from Atlas Air, by the way, uh, due to mechanic due to a mechanical issue. The flight was scheduled to depart at 0300 local time on November 1st. Our top priority is always to ensure our passengers arrive safely and on time at their destination. The aircraft is being repaired and will be inspected and certified before returning to service tra- to returning to service to transport our passengers to their final destination. We regret that operational disruptions delayed the flight and apologize for passengers who were inconvenienced. Now, this was from the, the plane company here, and I read this, and I was with a couple friends, and we were all kind of taking this in here. It's like Friday night, and it's like, what's going on right now? I'm very confused. I'm a little drunk. I'm taking this all in. Um, you know, if you... It, it, it's not really on the airplane people to just fix the issue. You then have to work with the Saudi government to get the plane approved to take off. And that is that is the weird little kink in there that I think is interesting because that all sounds fine and dandy on the surface. But again, the the power to leave the country here is based off of Saudi officials who would certify the plane to, to leave the ground, which is interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, and also you're also working under the the time clock here because pilots do time out. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. But time, time pilots time out. Uh, there's already heightened stress, but you've got to work through the Saudi government, and that adds in a layer of kind of checks and balances that um, you don't always have when you're just flying domestic. Okay, so so here we are. You're you're a wrestler right now. You've been on the plane. You're off the plane. 
you're hearing there's mechanical issues. Well, here is uh, what former WWE Spanish commentator Hugo Savinovich, uh, who currently works for AAA, by the way, he uh, posted a video on Facebook. This was uh, only a couple days after his wife had passed away. Dis- uh, Hugo Savinovich. First of all, Hugo Savinovich is the <laughs> one who, who decides to start talking about what he's hearing is actually going on here. If you had, had, you had told me it was going to be Hugo Savinovich, I, I mean, you couldn't. Have, if you gave me a wall full of people and threw a dart at it, he would not be the person I would think is going to be breaking this story. I'll start with that, right? Yes. yes. And, and, and let's just keep it in mind. And then that um, Hugo Savinovich uh, was with WWE until 2011-ish, I do believe. Right. Yeah. Um, had to jump, double check this date. So he's with WWE. And if I remember correctly, he left WWE under um, not, not bad circumstances, but they wanted to move in a different direction. And I remember at the time, people were very sad because Savinovich was uh, the the guy when it came to the Spanish commentary team. Agreed. And, um, Agreed. Big change. Agreed. I think he might actually work for AEW now doing their uh, Spanish commentary as well. So mm, okay. anyway, Hugo Savinovich, he jumps on Facebook. He does this video and he noted that he had connections with people in countries like Saudi Arabia and claimed there was another reason why talent were not allowed to leave the country as scheduled. According to Savinovich, WWE was owed millions of dollars for two of the shows that the company held in Saudi Arabia. He said that amount could be between 300 and 500 million dollars. Um, <laughs> Savinovich- That's an insane number, right? Like if 300 to 500 million dollars was missing off of the WWE balance sheet, wouldn't it have shown up? I mean, like one of the quarter reports. Yes. Uh, yes, you would think so. And we will get to the reports here in a bit and what they say about the finances of WWE in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but Savinovich said that Vince McMahon retaliated. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I got to stop. <laughs> no chance in hell. If you're ever in a position to try to retaliate against the Saudi leadership, I would not do that. I just, I'm just going to put it out there. You've already put yourself in a... How did I get in this situation type situation? So, anyway. Savinovich said that McMahon retaliated by cutting off the Crown Jewel live TV feed in Saudi Arabia. So, MBS, I guess, is in the king. He's at the, the kingdom. He's watching, trying to watch the show. <laughs> and Please stand the feed's by. not there. Getting up. He's banging the TV on top. He's like, what's going on? I, I paid $10 million for this all-solid gold television set. Adjusting the rabbit ears, right? <laughs> so Savinovich said the crown. Is it like a switch? It's like a button. Does Vince just literally like turn off a like a light switch? Maybe he walked over. Maybe it's a plug. Maybe he walked over and kicked the plug out. He's like, I'm he literally this. cuts the feet. He takes a, a pair of scissors. Where's, That'll show him. Where's beefcake? I need those clippers. <laughs> oh, we joke. Yeah, we joke. It's not funny though. <laughs> it's a joke. Savinovich said that the crown prince was so upset about the feed being cut off that he ordered the WWE talent to be taken off of the plane right before the flight was scheduled to take off. And this is where this whole thing starts to get gross, right? I mean, this is kind of the thing everybody had been thinking. Was there more to this than a mechanical issue? Well, Savinovich implies here that this was this was the crown prince retaliating to WWE for not uh, airing the show and making him get up to use his rabbit ears. Um, and again, this is a, this is a, they're trying to be a more progressive regime, but they don't F around, man. <laughs> like, you know, and these guys, the are United all... States stands by that 
a year ago, almost to the day, they conducted the murdering of an American journalist <sighs> because he said unflattering things about them in the Washington Post. So, uh, Hannibal TV, they catch up with Savinovich. Uh, he, uh, he's, there's a lot of quotes. A lot of them kind of rehash what we've already been through here, what he said. Um, but a unique quote, quote here uh, from that interview. He says, of course, we always know that money talks. And if Vince gets the millions of dollars and maybe the Middle East, the big TV contract, because it didn't happen. And in one day, he lost over $200 million in stock value. So it's a very complicated situation. But the talent was, you know, I don't want to use the word kidnapped. But he ordered a kidnapping, <laughs> and the guys were stopped from leaving the country. Terrifying, Michael. Terrifying. Mm. So uh, then we, we'll pop over here to the Wrestling Observer. Now the now this is all out there, right? And everybody's running a million different directions here. How credible is Hugo Savinovich? What does Hugo Savinovich know? How well-connected is he? How much of this is true? This man is also grieving the loss of his wife. A lot going on here. So um, the Observer reports that it was reported WWE wasn't paid for the WWE Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia as of June 7th, uh, on June 7th, as of September 30th. So a, a week ago, right? No, a little about a month ago, a little over a month yep. ago. Um, confirming that portion of the report, right? Now, he's also saying, and, and again... It was noted in the WWE third quarter earnings call that WWE avoided answering questions regarding Saudi Arabia, although they did mention that they got a six they, they did mention getting sixty million dollars after September thirtieth when the report closes and before October thirty first, hours before Crown Jewel. Meltzer noted there was clearly money owed by the Saudis. And because of this, Vince McMahon didn't televise Crown Jewel live in Saudi Arabia. And it ended up on a delay after the two sides made an agreement during the show. So did MBS pay $60 million for a pay-per-view? Is that the most that's ever been paid for a pay-per-view? Oh, my God. That's insane. Right? And you understand why this, this deal is so important to WWE. We all kind of uh, say what we will about it politically. But this is a huge boom to their bottom line and the company who is struggling with a lot of other things right now. $60 million for a show? You you see why Vince McMahon wants to do this, not justifying doing a show in Saudi Arabia, but you would see why that top brass find it so important to keep this up. The cojones here. Vince, again, I would not do this. But again, you know, it's his business. Um, so also, we're talking about $60 million for Super Showdown, right? <laughs> this is not, Yeah. Uh, that's uh, not... Uh, yeah. Not a rough, that's a rough show. Anyway. Yeah. So there you go. So apparently talent was uh, talent was apparently aware that money was owed, which would make me feel very weird. Uh, in regards to the plane having mechanical failures, a majority of the talent that reached out to Meltzer did not believe that story. Military police were there while they waited, not to mention it took 24 hours for them to finally go. And the second flight that was supposed to go was also delayed. Some talent reportedly said that they are not going to go back to Saudi Arabia and they can't wait to get out of the company. A lot of people were or were upset that Vince left the country on his private jet and they were all still stuck there. The superstars were said to have felt deserted, although it's unknown if Vince left before or after problems began to arise with the flight leaving and that they were pawns in this whole situation. <sighs> Gross. It's crazy. That's terrible. If I mean, again, 
these are two reports here, right? You got Hugo Savinich's accounting of it. You have Meltzer's accounting of it. Now, again, Meltzer says the number was $60 million, which is not quite the 300 to $500 million owed that Savinovich is referring to. And you would think that would reflect, but uh, I believe it was Russell Nomics tweeted out uh, a graphic of the Q3 report that did note there was a delay, delay in getting payment from the Saudis for uh, the shows they were there. So this is also in public documents that there was money owed here. And it does sound like Vince cut the feed to the show in Saudi Arabia while it was going on. And then left while they, he knows that they've got to be pissed. I mean, you can't predict that something like this is going to happen. But at the same time, you know, when when this deal was made and, you know, you've got all the critics, and they say, you know, something fishy could happen here. You don't you don't can't predict exactly what that may be. You get in a situation like this and, you know, I don't know. 200 to, I mean, 200 to 300 million is a lot of money. So when we kind of parse out these numbers, there'd have to be more research done that I've not done to figure out, is it the 60 million? Is it the 200 to 300 million? I don't know if it matters. Obviously, Vince McMahon, he has an alpha male mentality, right? And he right. is one of those guys that when you puff up your chest at him, he's going to puff up his chest back. It doesn't matter who he's dealing with. It's it's the same kind of mentality that we see kind of running America right now, right? In politics, the presidency, right? Is this, um, we're going to we're gonna punch back if I get punched at. And, and so I can totally see Vince McMahon doing that piece i would say two things here i doubt vince mcmahon left knowing that his talent were going to have this happen and had he known that Correct. i agree knowing how that. i agree with knowing that. how vince protects his talent because he's very protective and, and you, you talk, hear him talk about the ones he has relationships with um he, he does look out for them i think right that he would have stayed behind however having done this kind of alpha male move and flip off the physical switch or metaphorical switch right if I were Vince McMahon, I would have waited to make sure that the talent got out of there unless he was fearful for his own safety, which I can't imagine. I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, uh, every, it sounds like everybody was in a detained space. So, wow, we didn't have an international mm. incident. I'm really honestly surprised that more mainstream media didn't pick up on this, but whatever. We, we've got more to get through here. So... Uh, everybody got back home uh, eventually, um, and then the superstars started to vent their frustrations on Twitter. Curtis Axel wrote on Twitter, not the hashtag top 20 middle finger emoji. I'm number one at home. We don't leave each other behind at WWE. Um, of course, the not top 20 reference here is to, I guess there was a, a, a separate charter flight where the top 20 stars got out and everybody else that wasn't them or in the two other private flights that one with the went out for Vince and one that went out for Brock. If, if you weren't on one of those three flights, th you were left in this lot of people here that became stranded, right? Because there was a there was a charter of flights outside of the Vince and Brock flights, and the Brock and Hulk Hogan flight, I should say, which is an interesting duo. Um, there was a, a chartered flight to get talent back in time, or try to get them back in time for SmackDown, which still did not happen. <laughs> right, yes. So, uh, and again, you're sitting there, and you're in this precocious situation. You're watching some of your friends get their, the, I hate to say the lifeboats, out, but it felt kind of in a situation like you know people want to leave we you know for whatever reason so on his instagram luke harper commented larry i'm home i guess i didn't want it enough to pay for my own charter but i'm home now hashtag not top 20 and in the comments for harper's post a handful of wwe stars talked about 
being the last to get out of the country. Um, and this was a direct response uh, to the WWE press release. This is what kills me about WWE right now, right? It's all this stuff is happening. And they put out this press release on Friday. And what they said was, or I think it was Friday, late Friday, or maybe it was Saturday, but I think it was we Friday. Read, what they we said, read it on the air when we were doing the Winkley. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was the breaking news, right? Yeah. Which was, they said, a number of superstars, as they put it, felt strongly enough about leaving to charter their own flight. And th they put it like this... I struggle with this, right? Because the company, you know, you've got to have a PR team there. But when they send this out, it puts the blame back on the talent. Like some people felt strongly enough about leaving that they paid for their own flight. Nobody else did, though. So that's kind of like it's their own fault they're stuck there, right? Right, yeah. So Tyson Kidd, uh, he tweeted, next time we'll pool our money together instead of being lazy. Eric Young uh, tweeted out, I'll pitch in, guys. Next time I'll have more pride in myself and take it upon myself to be better. What a world. What an effing universe. Scott Dawson, he just simply tweeted, hashtag poor. Uh, AEW World Champion Chris Jericho, he chimed in. He said, shame on you lazy embarrassments to the company. Glad everybody made it home safely. This is, like, gross, man. Right? Like, you know, you could try to, you know, it's not too hard, I think, to fill in the dots here about what kind of happened and how people feel about it. Or at least some people. Uh, which brings us to AJ Styles, who was on his Mixer gaming account, I guess, last night. Which I guess is a thing, also. Mixer. Does he play games on it, or does he just use it for for uh, to make his own little personal YouTube channel? I don't know, man. Post game shows with AJ Styles on Mixer. I don't know, man. Well, AJ Styles decided to talk about it. He said we were supposed to leave after the show. We got to the airport. They weren't letting us board. What was the problem? Not really sure. Heard there was a fuel truck in the way. Which is different than there was something with the wrong with the fuel line, which has been the original line, just of note. Um, the guy who drove the truck had left to go home. I know this makes no sense. Why would the fuel guy leave if he knows he's got a plane that's leaving? Then there were some paperwork issues. Finally, after at least four to five hours, we get on the plane. Then they found something wrong. The fuel or something or another was broken. People could say what they want. It was broken, but I talked to the pilot. On the 14-hour flight, the pilots, I guess, they take naps. We were all chatting, sitting around on the flight, and he said, listen, there was a problem. That's a real thing. I had to take a second to drink some water here because there are more comments. Um, but fascinating that AJ, AJ Styles is the one to speak out like this. And apparently that guy who drove the truck is the only person around who can move a fuel truck once it's been placed somewhere. Yeah. So, so the problem uh, – so back to AJ here. The problem was we spent all that time from 1 o'clock all the way to 6 or 8 in the morning waiting to board this plane. They're telling us we can't go anywhere because the pilots and everybody had timed out, which is something you had mentioned earlier. So you want to explain mm -hmm. what timing out is? So I've had this happen because I actually had a flight that was supposed to leave at like 3 in the afternoon one time, get all the way delayed till midnight. And they kept moving terminals. And what happened at one point was we had a flight. We had the flight crew there. And just as we were getting ready to board at like 9 – the pilots timed out because if a flight gets delayed and the pilots are there, they can only fly for a certain number of hours per day, again, for safety reasons. But if a flight gets delayed, the pilots are still technically, quote unquote, on the clock or whatever you want to call it during that time. So their time to fly is running out. So if they get on, if the flight is ready and the pilots don't have enough time left to make the flight, then the flight crew times out and they have to bring in a new flight crew, which adds time to it. Federal regulations. All right. 
Um, so AJ says, he notes the same thing. He said there's the pilots can only go so long before they're not able to fly. They had to go back to a hotel. We had to find a hotel. So that is interesting. I don't know if WWE found this hotel or if the Saudi government maybe had a recommendation. We'll find out, I'm sure, that in overtime. Um, he says, were there guns? Were there people yelling, everybody off the plane? No, that never happened. My wife called me in a panic. She's scared to death. I go, babe, listen, we're just not able to go anywhere. It's not a big issue. Nobody has threatened to kill us. There was none of that going on. Nobody was going to get murdered. It never happened. First of all, well, there was, a, there was no threat of physical harm or anything like that. Okay, look, if you're in a position to have to start explaining to your family that your line of work, I'm not going to get murdered, and people are, like, worried that's going to happen, I, don't, I mean, what is money? You know, like, I don't, I don't know, man. When you're having to call back home and calm down a wife who is scared that you are in imminent danger, and this is all for a let's, – let's put this perspective. These guys aren't curing cancer. They're not out there doing brain surgery. At the end of the day, this is entertainment. It's a, a show that has its roots in the circus, right? right. Um, and it's professional wrestling. There is no reason that there should be lives on the line in regard to this. So uh, he finishes here by saying, I don't know what happened between Vince and the king, the prince, whoever it is. That's not my job to say anything. My job to go. My, first of all, it doesn't deny it. Right. Like he seems to be acknowledging that he he's under the impression there was a dispute between mm -hmm. Vince, Vince McMahon and MBS. Ugh. And he's kind of <laughs> deflecting blame here. It's not my job to say anything. Right. <laughs> That's not my job to say anything. My job is to go to work. My job's to get home. Was I pretty angry about not going home because I missed my son's wrestling match? You have no idea. But if this is out of our hands, if it is if it is out of the pilot's hands, then there's nothing we can do. <sighs> Chills, man. Gross. Company man, AJ Styles. I guess. Again, it's like he seems to have confirmed some parts of it, too. It's like with a smile, you know? So, anyway, Forbes, uh, Alfred Kanoa, he reached out to WWE, who swiftly denied the owed money allegations that were first brought up by Hugo Savinovich. WWE also confirmed that the relationship remained strong with their partners in the kingdom. And on that note, they announced yesterday that they have expanded their partnership with the Saudi General Entertainment Authority through 2027 to include a second annual large-scale event. Well, you might be saying, well, don't they already do that? Isn't this the agreement that we already knew about that is like just being put into action here. Now, uh, I guess, uh, according, I, I don't know that, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't see it exactly in my periphery when I was putting these very detailed notes together here, um, but I believe it was either confirmed to Alfred or Satin or one of the other credible outlets that this was just an affirmation of, uh, like, the fact that they had originally said, well, maybe we'll do two shows a year, and then we started doing two shows a year, and we're all like, this is a good plan, we're going to stick with this plan, so we're settling and we're finalizing that plan. It's not just going to be one show a year. It's going to be two shows a year through 2027 in Saudi Arabia. You got that? You got that, Michael? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, wonderful. So they I just okay, – go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, yeah, I just did a well, whole bunch well, of talking. You mentioned the, you mentioned the uh, announced the press release. Before we jump on to the kind of the raw feelings last night, yeah. uh, was there anything else you wanted to add on that because I wanted to say something? Uh, well, I was just going to say that the Observer is reporting that the WWE partnership with the Saudi General Entertainment Authority on Monday had nothing to do – with the rumors stemming from last week's travel to back, uh, back out of Saudi Arabia. They don't care about that. What they do care about 
is the stock price. And the idea that the Saudis were not paying WWE, may never pay WWE, maybe this deal is done, this was a huge tentpole of your big uh, profits for the, for the foreseeable future, that issue uh, is what led to them doubling down and hugging the Saudis uh, for, to keep this deal intact. Is uh, Because as of this recording today, after going down quite a bit, WWE shares are up at least 7% today. We could double-check that because I wrote this about an hour ago, but as of an hour before I wrote the run sheet, shares up to 7%. Capitalism! Uh. <laughs> Capitalism at its finest, pure uncut. Um, at WrestleVotes is reporting that morale was down at Raw last night from the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. The vibe backstage was that of weariness, with a majority of the talent still speaking about the travel debacle coming out of Thursday's WWE Crown Jewel event in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It was also speculated this, uh, that the Saudi debacle is likely a topic that will be discussed behind the scenes for a very long time. And last but so, not, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I want to jump in right there before we get too far away from the press release, the announced partnership, and I know we're going to talk more about talent here in a minute. But to me, from a public-facing standpoint, from a journalism standpoint, from whatever, a new standpoint, the thing that's missing and the thing that WWE continues to screw up time and time and time again is their public PR function. And I can't understand why they're no good at this, right? But they act like they can just sweep things under the rug and nobody's going to ask about it anymore, right? You said it's going to be talked about behind the scenes for a very long long time to come we're going to bring it up all the time because we just don't know other than the rumors and the hearsay and this comment and that comment it's like what they did last week with the jordan miles comments it's like what they did in the past with lars sullivan they kind of make these broad pr statements that don't address it if you want to announce that partnership right what you should do is give some kind of well that's not what happened here's what happened right and we're expanding the partnership because of this because just to go out there and announce this partnership on top of all these rumors is a huge faux pas because it makes the partnership an already slimy partnership feel even slimier and makes that brand even more tarnished. I mean, but how, so I, how do you come out and be like, yes, the Saudis pulled our talent off because Vince pulled the plug, but don't worry, that's totally normal, and you should not ask to you should not ask any more questions. Like that you can't I don't I mean, I don't know that you can make that. I don't think you can do that. I think you you're backed yourself into a corner where you have to try to sweep it under the rug because if 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 you acknowledge what actually happened, that's awful. Right? Maybe I don't want to say like illegal, you know, but like if the if a foreign entity is detaining American citizens against their will, that seems like really wrong, right? If all of this shakes out, right? And we have, of course, we have a lot of people, um, such as the Observer, pointing out all these details. If all of this is true, why in the world would WWE expand their partnership? Pure uncut capitalism, right? I guess. Oh, my God. Oh. So, anyway, with this all in mind, last bit of news here we have uh, on on this trip is this saga here. It concluded last night, or didn't conclude, but the last note we have here was from last night at Raw. The Observer reporting WWE officials held a talent meeting backstage at the Nassau Coliseum before Raw. The meeting was held around 3 p.m. Eastern with Vince and the Raw crew. Full details on the meeting have not been revealed yet. But word is that the travel debacle coming out of Thursday's Crown Jewel uh, was addressed. Now, the company reportedly—this is really weird, in my opinion. The company reportedly blamed talent speculation for causing a problem. Talents were told that the flight issues were all mechanical and nothing more. Wow. 
Seth, Seth Rollins reportedly spoke up at the meeting and attempted to do what was described as a rah-rah speech while telling people to keep things like this meeting and other company <laughs> happenings off of social media in the future. That worked. <laughs> Union leader Seth Rollins. <laughs> WWE issued a statement claiming that the show was delayed due to a technical issue, issue, but Meltzer noted that McMahon told a slightly different told talent a slightly different reason, saying that the delay was a decision that was made by Saudi Arabia. Now again, <laughs> now look, now look, we are now at a point here where this is a couple hours ago, and you know it's not like this is we're going to have like a transcript come out of this meeting. It's not like a, you know there's. I don't know, maybe somebody was videotaping it on their phone. Maybe that had leaked or something like that. But if Vince... It was a perfect meeting, Nick. It, it was, was a perfect per- meeting. It was a perfect meeting, Michael. <laughs> perfect meeting. Now, if, if Vince did say that, and then I think that there's going to be some very creative journalism done here in the coming weeks, months, about what do you mean by that, right? And... How long did you know, and when did you know? And again, now I feel like I'm in a, a, a courtroom, right? And this just feels really wrong to me. So, anyway, three more notes. Uh, Rusev reportedly tried to say something during the meeting, while Randy Orton appeared to make a small joke about the situation. Love the notes here from Meltzer. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what to—what do you make of that? Rusev tried to say something, and Randy Orton made a small joke. Even Probably know. Rusev, as he is known to speak out a little bit from time to time. You know, Rusev doesn't seem like a guy who shakes shakes down things, but he does speak up when he has an opinion. And he probably said something that nobody responded to because it's a super awkward situation. And Randy Orton, the guy who could give two shits about things, right, yeah. just said whatever he was feeling in the moment, some kind of snarky, offhanded comment, as he does. And, um, yeah. So anyway, Pissed. I hear I hear frustration from both the, reading into it here, but I hear frustration from both of those statements. So it was noted that the meeting didn't really change things. Talents who were already upset are even more upset following the meeting and the talent who were not planning are still uh, who were not planning on leaving are still not going to leave. Uh, and on that note, WWE will be back in Saudi Arabia in June. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it all again, guys. Uh, Eight more months. You couldn't. Uh, no way. No way. Would I go back? I can't imagine. If I'm getting calls from my wife that's like, hey, are you going to get murdered in a Saudi hotel? And you're like, no, it's fine. This is totally normal. It's some good hummus. I think that's what, what, about, the- what about a million dollars? No way, man. Two what million dollars. What is money in that situation? That's my answer to that. There's a lot of other. You, if you're at that level, you could make a damn fine living here in the States and elsewhere. Um, but uh, I, I, this look, Michael, bottom line, I don't think this is going away. I don't think this is this is going to be something that gets talked about less. I think it's a matter of time, honestly, before we get a John Oliver special or some other mainstream media outlet that that does a deep dive into this thing and creates some real attention on it. I, I'm I'm honestly like gobsmacked that it has not been picked up in the mainstream yet. What is what is happening here with all these reports out? These things take time sometimes too, right? Because you hear the rumors and people are just trying to get back home and they want to get back to where they're going, see their family again. Get they got to do a show on Monday, right? They're there. But I think more stories will leak out in the coming weeks and months. And I think talent are going to be very open. Not all talent, but some talent are going to be more open because they want to set the record straight, especially talent who don't give a crap, who are like, listen, I'm jumping ship anyway, so I don't mind rocking the boat. They've rocked the boat about much smaller things. Why would this be any different here? And um, yeah, I just think it's a crazy situation, especially from W. 
WWE standpoint, right? Because if you remember this time last year and earlier this year, even we were talking about how big of a deal this Saudi Arabia thing was and how uncomfortable it was. A lot of that, what we talk about here in the podcast publicly, a lot of that had died down for this October show because there's been enough, enough distance from last year's murders and then earlier this year and the what really started back up, the John Oliver story, all of that's been at least a few months back. So nobody was talking about that as much. They were saying Saudi Arabia very proudly on Crown Jewel, on the broadcast, and this brings all of that back up, all the stuff from the past back to the forefront. So if this is how it played out, it was a huge miscalculation on Vince McMahon's part um, to kind of go you know tit for tat with, uh, with Saudi Arabia um, and the Crown Prince. And I, I I mean, I just think it's just a, a huge and then to announce the expansion of the partnership, it's just going to put more eyes and more spotlight on this. And if more comes from this, it is going to be even more damaging to WWE, to their stock price. And it's going to be damaging to Vince McMahon trying to relaunch the XFL here in a couple of months. Right. He's associated with that brand intricately. And he's the face of this story uh, from an American standpoint. And, you know, I was sitting there on Friday night and I'm, you know, watching uh, the few talents that were tweeting that night and they're, you know, um, there's actually a great series of tweets between Ali and the Singh brothers. Um, and, you know, I worked with Ali here in Chicago. Um, you know, he's often obviously doing well and doing his own thing right now, but you know, these aren't just like, you know, action figures, you know, I know these people and right. I'm genuinely like, you know, and I'm telling other people that, and you know, some people, I was very surprised by the people that said to me, why would you be worrying? These mechanical issues happen all the time. And I'm like, yikes, I don't know, man. Um, you know, I mean, I was less, let's, let's put it in perspective, right? We are in an age where there are people, there are people talking about this story who are not credible. And so I am very much skeptical of things on Friday. We're making speculation. There are people out there saying this is what's happening. And you're like, I don't know. Like, what do I trust? And mechanical issues do happen a lot. I'm not trying to downplay that because you are exactly right. These are real people that lead real lives that have real families and people who love them. Yeah. Right. But I also don't like that. Some people want to kind of newsmonger things up to kind of be sensationalistic. But when credible outlets start talking about it and you put these pieces together Hell yes, it needs well, to be discussed on a much broader standpoint. I guess it's just the issue that my gut instinct as I was reading it did not turn out to be far off. You know what I sure. mean? Sure. And I, I get I get it. You want to proceed with caution. It's not like I was writing articles on Wrestling Inc. about what I thought was going on or anything like that. This is just my personal human struggle with the situation, you know. And it's it's unfortunate to feel like, you know, to that those instincts, some of most of them turned out to be true. You know, Absolutely. and so like I'm sitting here and I'm watching this and I'm following these tweets and they're stuck on the tarmac. They've been pulled off. It, it's, I mean, even if you go read these exchanges, it sounds like there was like a second time they got pulled off and then put back on and we're told the plane was going to leave and it didn't it didn't leave. And um, they're sitting there on the tarmac and the plane took off right after like maybe 10 minutes after Stephanie McMahon came out kind of randomly on SmackDown and cut a completely pro Saudi promo about the women's match. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember that segment? Yep. That, yep. that plane took off 10, like literally, if you go back and check the timestamps, I think it's like 10, 15 minutes after that promo got cut. And again, it's like, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions or anything like that, but kissing the ring a bit, maybe to, to get the mm. deal done. You know, that's a, I don't know. It, it's, it's very odd to me. The, the whole thing just, yeah. Maybe very uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. 
It uh, yeah, they, that WWE has. It's just they just have issues right now. <laughs> we talked about this in the past, racial issues. Um, I mean, uh, Tyson Fury being on that card, I think, had its own. People didn't talk about it a ton, but that guy has a history of certain comments that are very unsavory um, yeah. and downright offensive. And this company leans into these kinds of things. It's what I struggle with here too is it feels like sometimes they're running this company like it's still 1999. Right. And they have all this corporate infrastructure now they didn't have 20 years ago. They have stock shareholders and all these things they didn't have 20 years ago. And yet, from a human relationship or human resources perspective, they're still doing things like it's the Wild West of the Attitude Era. And it's not. It's 2019. There is social media. The workforce is a different place than it was 20 years ago. Workers have more rights. They advocate for themselves more. And this company does not seem, from, from our perspective and what we see come out from, um, their PR team does not seem to understand what it's like to work in 2019, and that continues to be a huge black mark, let alone the dangers associated with doing this kind of show and having this situation. Um, well, at the same time this is all going on, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move something up the run sheet here. Um, if you're Ring of Honor right now, um, you, I would be writing WWE a thank you note, right? We're taking all of the attention off of the, uh, the things that Joey Mercury has been saying about Ring of Honor, which has been like the second tier story, I feel like, from the past four days, man. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> you have a former Ring of Honor official speaking out like this. Uh, just a couple things that he said. Uh, it's an unsafe environment uh, for talent in and out of the ring. No security, no medical staff, no women on creative. Worst-looking wrestling on or off TV. No job description, no job description. nothing in terms of anything I've suggested. Total breach on your end. He's talking about the back and forth with Greg Gilliland, the, the ROH GM. Uh, he revealed that Shane Taylor is not going to be re-signed on January 1st, but Taylor and his family had not been informed of that decision. I'm guessing they were informed via this tweet. And that's got to—I mean, this guy's sitting television champion. And I don't know, but that's that's weird. And he, he wrestled it unauthorized last, like, on Sunday night. So uh. he wrestled Gary Juster, the one of their PR guys. <laughs> Uh, 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 you can't write this stuff. All right. He also stated that the contracts of Taylor and Bandito expire on January 1st and PJ Blacks expires on February 1st. So Bandito AEW in, in January, I'm guessing. Uh -huh. Um, Maybe Shane Taylor, too. You know, he's getting... He just aired all their dirty laundry. He's like, yeah. by the way, I'm just going to tell you everything I know. He also said... Saddle that, up. He also said regarding Women of Honor... Uh, Mercury called out ROH GM Greg Gilliland for not implementing a proper concussion protocol using Kelly Klein as example after allowing her to travel to South Africa following a brain injury. Uh, Klein responded to Mercury's post, joining his side in that matter. Ugh. Mercury tweeted, with Klein's permission, emails between her and Gilliland revealing that she was making under $24,000 a year for the promotion in her 2019 ROH contract. That's your, That's your women's champion, man. 24 grand. Face of your division. Yep. In addition, Klein's husband, BJ Whitmer, who gave a letter of resignation to ROH last December and is currently with AEW as a coach, wrote on Twitter from someone that actually worked in the office with Greg Gilliland, everything Joey is saying is 100% true. Joey also revealed in one of his tweets that during the Bully Ray fan incident, there was no security. He also said ROH scapegoated Bully Ray in that situation. I have no idea what to make of that. Uh, Kelly Klein tweets uh tweeted out regarding the situation i didn't bring these issues up publicly before i was afraid for my job and the jobs of my colleagues i don't want to take away their place of work i want to make their place of work better and safer maybe someone will finally listen and let me and others help make things better uh and then to 
to make this all okay, ROH posted a photo of all of their talent in the ring, I'm guessing after unauthorized on Sunday, and wrote, we are Ring of Honor, we are family. Although it should be noted, Kelly Klein does not appear in that photo. She's the only star missing. Mm. You know, when you put these two stories side by side, which I really hadn't intended on doing, it does. And look, I don't want to be the newsies here and bang the drum, but it does sound like some kind of union or workers' protections should be put in place for pro wrestlers. This sounds like a lot of people fearing for their lives with no protections. Liter- I mean, I'm just saying, like, literally fearing for their lives, their livelihoods with no protections, and they have to do whatever their employer says or else they're out and there's nothing they can do about it. And that's, I mean, it, look, as quickly as the business is growing here right now, a lot of people up top, I know, shoving cash into their pockets. I think it goes without saying that, especially considering the stories of the past four days, there should be better protections put in place for the workers right now, right? I mean, it's been like this for years. So let's just call out the fact that the pro wrestling business has been like this for many, 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 many years, right? It's just a lot more public facing now with all these issues because here in America, we're kind of going through the struggle about workers' rights again. Something you saw back in the days of the factory workers who had to work long hours and had no protections. And it kind of went away. You know, there were unions and a lot of companies, you see auto industry, they still have these unions. Um, But really through the 80s and 90s and kind of the boom in prosperity that all these companies brought workers – Um, Here in Winston-Salem, we had R.J. Reynolds, right? And I had family members who worked for Reynolds, and they talked about unions would show up, but Reynolds would offer them more money. And so they were like, yeah, we don't need unions. Um, So in the 80s and 90s and all that boom that took place, the unions weren't as much of a thing, right? But I think in the last 10 years, what you've seen is a dynamic that shifts back towards workers are kind of being taken advantage of. Workers have more of a voice publicly, right, because of social media, things like that. And, And professional wrestling is no different. You've seen this with bloggers with writers how they've joined writing guilds um and i think you know the age of talents being contractual workers quote unquote who don't get protections and that contractual status being abused i think it's coming to an end john oliver's story highlighted this earlier this year um you see this happening in the ncaa right with finally with talent or athletes being able to possibly profit off of their names while they're still in college, while the NCAA is profiting off of it. Um, These things are changing and professional wrestling is not immune to this. I just don't think ROH and WWE realize that yet. Well, and to put a button on all of this here, you know, going back to the rah-rah speech that Seth Rollins gave as we're talking about unions, he would make a great union leader if his heart was in the right place, if everything is allegedly true. And we but, say, companies, but companies do this. They use guys who are really company men, Hulk, AJ Styles and Seth Rollins, to kind of quell Hulk, that. Right? Jesse Ventura said Hulk Hogan was the one who squashed the, the unionization in the late 80s, right? Isn't that how the story goes? Yes. Okay, okay. So anyway, on that note, uh, back to the rah-rah speech of Seth Rollins here. I totally forgot to include this. I don't know why. Um, Meltzer broke that story, calling out this rah-rah speech that Seth gave in the back, allegedly, right? And Seth Rollins decided to tweet late last night after Raw. And lastly, Dave Meltzer, you're you're at best a purveyor of misinformation or at worst an outright vindictive liar. I hope it's the former. Hashtag rah-rah. This guy's not doing himself any favors, man. Like, and it's, you know, look, I did not immediately jump to the, and this was this was pointed out to me, and I do see why this is in poor taste, but coming out of Saudi Arabia and considering the context of that, attacking a journalist, not a good look, man. Not a good look. 
You know? So, That's a way to frame that. I hadn't thought about it. I had not. I, th- I you know, but it got pointed out to me. There, like a lot of people on Twitter. I was just seeing the tweets. Like, not a good look, man. You're not supposed to attack journalists after like defending the company and the trip to Saudi Arabia and all this. Blah, blah, blah. That's the climate of 2019. You punch journalists bad, because they're reporting on things that make you feel uncomfortable. His comment there, he says, purveyor. Of, you might be a purveyor of misinformation. Misinformation could be that he got one detail wrong in his reporting. Right? It could. Misinformation can be anything you want to make it. What I will say about Dave. And what I will say about the observer is Dave's been doing this longer than anybody. I mean, uh, after I mean, after's up there, right? But but uh, Dave Meltzer out there is Dave 100% correct all the time? Absolutely not. Nobody is right. And there are a ton of talented journalists backing up his stories these days. So you talk about Satin, um, we talk about uh, SAP. These guys reinforce a lot of the things that Meltzer's been reporting lately. So what I will say is Dave is not perfect. But he still has a track record, and he is still respected and listened to by the wider pro wrestling community. And so for Seth Rollins to come out and attack him and say and, and challenge his credibility, um, yeah, he just he's digging his grave even deeper over there as being a, a WWE shill, right? This kind of started with the mock stuff earlier in the year. Yeah, and, I think yeah, that it, you know, it did. yeah, it did. No, you're right, you're right, and it, it is unfortunate because they they had actually done a pretty semi decent job before they put. They'd actually done a, a really good job, I thought, before they paired him with Becky, and then things got weird again, and they had to reheat him up. But there was a period there people were really into the burn it down, you know, this guy is the athletic face of the company. And I'm guessing at that point, Hunter, Vince, somebody took him to the side, and they said, you're the guy now. We need you to defend the company at all costs every time, and we're going to make sure you're going to be taken care of. I, I mean, I putting two pieces together, I, I would think it was something along those lines. Yeah, and, and you can almost see it as being some kind of kind of punch back against the things that Moxley was saying. Right. Um, you know, I, I've said before, I think Mox is a great talent. I'm glad he's in AEW. I wish sometimes he would talk less about his complaints about WWE because it starts coming across. Not that he's wrong, but just after a while, it sounds like you're beating the same drum and it comes across as soured grapes. Not that that makes him wrong, but on the other hand, I wish Seth Rollins would stop doing stuff like this because well, he seems like a company shill and I don't take him as credible as a performer or a locker room leader. Here's what I will say on the flip side of this. We need to get on to other things here. We're going to be here for another hour. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I've always heard very good things about Rollins, the person from my people, the, the people I know that know him. And I do wonder, you know, how much of it is politics? Is it like, you know, which is not uncommon in Washington, say something out loud that you know the person above you is going to want to hear and will endear you to them so that you can do more. But what you're actually trying to do is at the benefit of the people under you or that you like. Does that make sense? Kind of like a covert agent type deal. Yeah, I could see that, but I also think it is possible for multiple people to work in the same set of circumstances and have very different experiences, depending on your background, depending on what you want from it. Seth Rollins and AJ Styles, we'll call it here too, might be very happy going with the flow, and it might not have seemed like as big of a deal to AJ Styles for whatever reason, right? But if you're a talent who already has some misgivings about the company, then yeah, all of these things are amplified tenfold. And so it could be that. He could be publicly saying one thing, privately holding it against them. But I also believe maybe Seth Rollins is happy working in WWE and in that system and these things that people bring up he is more protective and punchy about because to him it's not as big of a deal all right uh so this uh brings us back to smackdown here so of course all the talent was in saudi arabia or a lot of the talent was a lot of production staff was there what's a company to do um well they called upon nxt because of course all of nxt all the talents in the states they were down in florida uh they get the call guys we're gonna do an nxt episode of smackdown here we're gonna get we're gonna get firing on all cylinders here for survivor series so the nxt crew gets flown in um and uh, they get in at 7 55 p.m minutes before smackdown 
hit the air. Uh, they had a police escort get them to the Key Bank Center and barely made it in time for the angle that saw NXT Women's Champion Shayna Baszler attack Sasha Banks, Nikki Cross, and women, uh, SmackDown Women's Champion Bayley. Also, the commentators were there. Dude, Michael Cole was still in Saudi Arabia. That really surprised me. I thought he'd have definitely been on, on the Vince Planer or the Top 21, whatever that is. <laughs> or maybe he was. Maybe because, like, great. Not everybody was in Saudi. There were still other people that were, like, stuck, like, in Ireland or something, right? Like, right. Some people they... were either in the air or left or whatever, but they had not. They could not make it back in time. Okay. So... Like, Kofi Kingston had tweeted, I think, at some point that he landed, like, right as SmackDown was ending, but Ali was still there getting ready to leave or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so in place of the commentators this week, we had Tom Phillips, Renee Young, Aiden English, and Pat McAfee. Aiden and Pat kind of tagged uh, tagged in and out there. Uh, I love Pat McAfee. On con- First of all, reg- I'm very upset about the circumstances and everything, but uh, with these kinds of things comes opportunity for others. And, man, McAfee for me, that's the dude. That's the Jerry Lawler of our era right there. He's perfect for that role. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, like, I get it why they're doing the deal. I mean, they, look, they took out Dio Madden and Raw. But, uh, I, you know, look, Pat McAfee's got the attitude to do that commentary. Hip young, polished, that's the dude for me. You know what I mean? He's, he's credible when he does it, too. Right? Yeah. Jerry Lawler, if you, if you like Lawler from his days, he's, he, you can still enjoy what he does. But it's different in 2019, and I think McAfee is credible. I love this whole team. Tom Phillips. Yeah. Always does a good job, right? Yeah. Some people don't like him. I think he's he's solid. He's really good. Renee Young, happy to see her back out there because she's great. And Aiden English has been doing some commentary too, and I like what he does. I'm not not as keyed up on him as I was Pat McAfee, but yeah, all in all, solid team there. Well, Brock Lesnar, he kicks off SmackDown looking well-rested alongside Paul Heyman there. Uh, and it was announced by Heyman that Brock Lesnar is quitting SmackDown. He's going to Raw to hunt Rey Mysterio. Uh, the Observer reporting that the Lesnar story was scheduled to play out uh, but it was going to kick off on Tuesday's premiere of WWE backstage on FS1. The change happened after WWE talent and the crew were delayed in Saudi Arabia, causing multiple audibles to be called for Friday's show. Lesnar and Heyman were not originally scheduled for SmackDown, but were contacted since uh, so few got out of the country on time. They needed a big name for the show. Um, so the NXT talent invaded. Um, we got a main event where Adam Cole defeated Daniel Bryan for the NXT title in a defense. Huge main event. Ciampa beat Miz, Rhea Ripley, and Tegan Knox. They defeated Fire and Desire. And with all of this NXT influence, you would think that Triple H was running the whole show. Well, the Observer's reporting that while Triple H was a key driver in the NXT Superstar segments, this was a Vince show as usual. Vince was there running this show. This was his focus in this moment. Triple H uh, came up with the main strategy, but Vince approved it, uh, just like he approves it every week. It was also noted that Vince rewrote and rebooked the show when it, it was confirmed that top SmackDown superstars would be missing from the show, and the NXT superstars would need to be flown in from Florida. Uh, and I'll also throw in here, before we do a, a quick little uh, look back on, on what happened here at SmackDown, Showbuzz Daily reporting that SmackDown drew an average of 2.543 million viewers Hour one, 2.605. Hour two, 2.481. This is up a whopping 186% from last Friday's SmackDown, uh, which drew 888,000 viewers. Of course, that was on FS1 and head-to-head with the World Series. Uh, but it is also up 5.17% per, per from two weeks ago, the last episode on Fox uh, that aired uh, of SmackDown did 2.418 million. So up from two weeks ago. Yeah, again, I, you know, th- the show must go on, I guess. And, you know, obviously with all the buzz around it, for one reason or another, people looking to figure out what WWE is going to do. They stepped up to the plate. They did a very good show. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that for the talent that was stranded and, and couldn't be a part of this, got to be 
uh, another rough lump to take that even without you there, the, the show will go on. If that, if that yeah. makes any sense, you know? So I was super excited to cover for SmackDown on Friday night because whenever WWE's back is up against the wall, they typically pull out something really good. And you saw this again Friday night. They had to work on the fly, come up with something last minute, use what their resources they had. They were forced to be creative, and those constraints really do pay off in the creative space sometimes. And yeah, fantastic show. I'm not going to break it down. We we have the SmackDown postgame show, me, Matt Morgan, Glenn Rubenstein, Friday night, covered all that 45 minutes, download that podcast right here in this feed. But what I will tell you is that show was the best SmackDown in years, right? I think it paid off in the ratings, too. You had a, a bounce back because fans are like, what are, what are they going to do? All their talents in Saudi Arabia still. So fans tuned in and got handsomely rewarded with an exciting, unpredictable show. They made the right calls. They put over NXT talent, which you don't have to do. But listen, guys, NXT's been struggling in the ratings. Fans who tuned in Friday night were encouraged to tune back in on Wednesday. So that was a good payoff as well, building up Survivor Series in a meaningful way. Right. And just all in all, I thought they executed well at every Every aspect of the game, they did it right. And, um, yeah, I, you know, say what you will, but everything else, Friday Night SmackDown was worth watching last week in a really powerful way. Does NXT beat AEW this week in the viewership? I don't think so. That gap is still way too large, right? I but I wouldn't expect to see it bounce back. I don't know. Yeah, definitely a bounce back from whatever they did last week against Major League Baseball. But, you know, AEW is going to be bouncing back, too. And, look, you know, if you're AEW, you're like, great. We we weathered this, this four day period where everybody seemed to be taking it right, and there was nothing negative about us. But at the same time, all publicity is a good publicity. I don't know. There mm -hmm. seemed to be a lot of interest around SmackDown, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest around NXT. Uh, and with that, on we have some uh, new Survivor Series matches set. Uh, one of the main events is going to see WWE Champion Brock Lesnar defend his title against Rey Mysterio. We're also going to get all three women's champions: Becky Lynch, Shayna Baszler, and Bailey. They're going to be in a triple threat. Uh, we'll have another triple threat as all the tag team champions, the Viking Raiders, the Revival, and Undisputed Era. They're also going to be in a match. So, uh, strong card here. Very excited to, to see it when it comes out here to Chicago. Man, Brock Lesnar, Rey Mysterio, what is old is new again. These guys, uh, vets, killing the game. This is my favorite feud in WWE right now. It's the best Brock Lesnar feud we've had in years, too. And Rey Mysterio, a guy who's been back for a couple of years, is probably involved in the most meaningful storyline he's been involved in in a decade or more. Yeah. Um, he could win this. I mean, that's what's so exciting to me is Rey Mysterio looks a lot like his old self again, uh, but he's he's been given chances to really shine. His promo last night on Raw, Raw was a lackluster, it was a fine show, mediocre show, but his promo was fire, and he looks credible against a guy like Rock Lesnar, who is an undefeatable beast. So it's an exciting time um, to, to see these two go at it, I think. Uh, and Tommaso Ciampa, uh, following Raw, he cryptically tweeted out, goodbye, Twitter, nothing matters, black heart emoji, yellow heart emoji, black heart emoji. Um, again, it's cryptic, no idea what's going on here, but that was the last tweet that I read from last night from a superstar following the chaos that was this five-day, six-day whirlwind. Um, nothing matters. Hmm. <laughs> Melancholy and the infinite sadness. Who knows, uh, I guess. Well, uh, some other WWE news. Uh, they've announced that Scarlett Brudeau, Shanti Blackheart, Indy Hartwell, and Stefan Smith have joined the WWE Performance Center. Uh, Stefan Smith is a referee. Um, and uh, he's a Baltimore native, and that's cool. I just uh, I just wanted to note, if you go back a couple weeks and listen to my interview with Jimmy Corderas, I randomly decided to ask him about what ref training was like at the Performance Center, and we kind of noted how they never make a big deal about refs signing and getting trained there. Here we go. Got a ref. There you go. Um, Wrestling Observer reporting that Jordan Miles disappeared from WWE in late September of this year. 
Um, there is no word yet on what happened, but he was on what has been labeled a medical leave for something that was not an injury. Miles is once again pushing T-shirts on his Pro Wrestling T-Store, which he which was set up before he signed with WWE when he was known on the indies as ACH. He has a shirt which uh, shows ACH standing for Anxiety Can't Hold Me, and money from that shirt uh, is donated to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. On Sunday, by the way, Miles tweeted out, if WWE doesn't reach out to me to buy tomorrow, I'll make sure my voice is heard and my movement will be heard. Um, and uh, we didn't hear anything from him Monday other than a photo of him in front of a building. And uh, so I'm guessing he got a call from WWE that was like, please. <laughs> or there's more to come. We'll see. Yeah, man. Again, bad stories. WWE. All right. Um, we also have uh, more performance in our news. Lance Storm revealed on Twitter that he's returning to WWE as a producer. He tweeted out, for those wondering, after Storm Wrestling Academy closed, I will be returning to WWE to work as a producer. I'm looking forward to working with High Talent again. Uh, and there was also noted that P- by PW Insider that WWE has signed Ace Steel as a performance center coach as well. Of course, Ace uh, trained CM Punk and Colt Cabana. So a lot of performance center news here. Good high. I mean, look, Scarlett Bordeaux, great. Shotzi Blackheart, got a lot of buzz around her at the moment. But, man, can you imagine coming into this company right now with, I mean, look, it, I don't want to paint a grim photo, but it sounds like a lot of unrest in WWE right now. I can only imagine what it would be like to be an introductory talent in that environment. The only good news is the Performance Center and to a certain extent NXT kind of have a golden bubble around them that I think shields them some from the larger criticism, if only because hardcore pro wrestling fans love that brand. Um, so that's the only thing about it, yeah, you know. Yeah, but good hires. Like, call it what it is. Lance Storm, especially, I'm super excited about. Um, such a smart guy, such a such a, yeah. a great wrestler, but just a smart guy. And I want to note that a lot of people I've seen tweet out that since they hired Ace Steel, maybe a precursor to CM Punk coming back. Uh, you know, look, yeah, Ace Steel was at the show where Punk came uh, back under the hood in Milwaukee that was reported like back in the summer, but. I, Ace Steel is uh, he's he's accredited on his own. I don't think that you I don't think you can easily pull uh, strings between those two things. I think he got that job on his own. But yeah, you know. um, Nick Jackson uh, he shot down the idea of AEW and New Japan working together on Twitter. He wrote, "It's really not happening." Been asked this a thousand times, and telling the truth is always best. I don't want fans holding on to something that has zero <laughs> chance of happening. <laughs> So, Man, that's bold. Zero chance. Definitive. Well, look, New Japan's <laughs> making its way into America now, you know, and I, I'm not totally surprised by that. I guess Jericho's coming back for Wrestle Kingdom, right? So he's still on good terms with them, but that doesn't necessarily mean AEW has the same relationship that Chris Jericho has with New Japan, you know? Yeah. So, Competition. Um, on the note of AEW, Cody Rhodes has announced on Twitter that he's going to be making a career announcement on this week's episode of AEW Dynamite. What do you think it is? I have no idea. He's going to retire one week before his championship match. Maybe he's putting his career on the line. Huh? At, at, at huh. Gear, because they've already kind of done the him and the Brandy Rhodes thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. All right. Some people and... speculated that he's going to be able to use Rhodes. That's his last name again, which he's already kind of been doing. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Is that it? I am. I am. I am embracing the Rhodes name. I am no longer just Cody. I am Cody yeah. Rhodes, and that is my name going forward. And I will never it's... abandon the Rhodes name again. <laughs> It's an issue, though, with that. I think AEW does this a lot where they're like, we have a breaking announcement, huge news coming out this week, and they don't always pay it off. They've kind of done that a few times now. So even Tony Khan called them out for that recently. So Yeah. Uh, and uh, lastly here, Impact Wrestling News. Good news. Uh, they have announced that 100% of the ticket sales for the New York tapings this weekend are going to be donated to ODB to get her food truck, the meet and greet, back up and running. 
Um, it's going to be, uh, it should be noted that this weekend we will have somebody on site for the tapings. Our own Daniel Yanofsky will be there. So follow us for social media posts and more coverage from on site of that. Um, and also I interviewed ODB yesterday. I chatted with her about this. So she's going to be on the Thursday episode of the Winkly talking about this, uh, working with impact. And I pepper her brain with a lot of questions about her future and what she's looking to get out of the business. I think you guys are going to like that one a lot. Well, I see what you did there. Pepper her brain because she works with me. No, this is awesome. Good for good for Impact. ODB, uh, great to see her kind of get things back up and running. All right. Well, we're here with uh, Mick Foley. Um, Mick Foley's been busy preparing for his uh, big tour coming up, um, the Nice Day Tour. But he's also uh, drawing awareness and helping fundraise for ODB's food truck, um, who got lost, who which got lost in the fire. I mean, she's a startup company, you know, figure of business. Someone, someone that I remember a couple about last year, I think it was. I went to a uh, an event and I did a story on her in Florida here. And I just remember just just such an energy, just energy she brings to her food truck, welcoming everyone, and just the food. And she does everything herself, so she's like a one-woman show in many ways. So just to hear about the news of her losing that truck was really devastating. And um, I know you, Mick. Uh, I'm sure that struck a chord with you, which kind of got you involved. But if you could kind of just share with the audience here, just why it means so much to you to kind of get involved when you found out about, you know, what what she was facing right now with the food truck. Yeah, sure. You know, I've, uh, I think I've, uh, I know I've written about this and I've uh, spoken about it several times, but uh, I really believe that one of the biggest challenges we face in our business is, is finding something that makes us feel like we did when we were in the ring. And so for me, I've, I've worked hard and I've found that on certain nights when I'm on stage telling my stories. And I think for ODB, she's found that in her food truck. Uh, because, like you said, she is a she was like a one man she's a one man show. She prepares it, she serves the food, she uh, it does meet and greets like uh, literally all day long, and uh, and she's found her calling. And so when I heard that uh, 
the truck had burned down. I, you know, I, ma- I initially made a, a donation, but I thought there would be far more that I could do in terms of uh, creating awareness, getting the word out, and trying to make our wrestling community feel like this is something they should be part of. And it's just amazing these instances. I mean, what happened with Ashley Mazzaro as well, just kind of a great reminder just how tight-knit the community is. As one. I mean, you know, everyone, fans are very critical of maybe a product or something, but when it comes to you know, supporting a wrestler and just kind of giving thanks to, to the sacrifices that made. And we can all relate to a situation where, you know, we work so hard for something and this something happens that kind of affects that. So it's great to kind of see the wrestling fan come together. I mean, I just looked at her, her numbers right now, and she's already at a little over $14,000 um, with the food truck. And she's also stepping in by donating um, her time and, and and just like her merchandise to make it feel like the fans are getting something out of this besides just, you know, taking a handout per se. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. She's, she's got incentives going, but I think the biggest incentive is just for wrestling fans to feel like they're being part of something and doing the right thing. Um, when I got involved with uh, the fundraiser for Ashley's daughter, both uh, Lexi, uh, her daughter and and uh, Barbara, Ashley's mom, were so uh, just flattered by the sheer number of people who got involved. So they they didn't say, "Wow, look at how much money came in." They said, "Look at how many people cared enough to make a difference." And I think in the end, it was something like twenty three hundred people either donated, uh, you know, bought a shirt or otherwise helped, and that's on top of the literally thousands, probably tens of thousands who helped get the word out uh, through retweeting and sharing and liking and just talking it up over there among their friends. So I'm hoping, you know, like two, if we can get 2,000 people to donate $10 each, you know, it's November 10th, maybe they can donate 11.10, they can donate $11.10 or $10 or $11 or $1,000, 100 $1,110. That's pretty extreme. But I, I feel like uh, I feel like it's something we can do. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm ODB is coming to my show on the 10th, which I am officially declaring uh, ODB Appreciation Day. And there's a situation where I just hope people get in the spirit and hashtag it and get it out, even if they're not in a position to make a donation if they can spread the word and make this a day that we can celebrate. Because ODB was fun, right? She was, mm-hmm. she was a great character and a great worker and, and someone who was ahead of her time. Like Al Snow told me at when he was in charge of OBW, every single time WWE would ask about which women were ready, he would say ODB. And that wasn't, unfortunately, what WWE thought the audience wanted to see back then. I'll go on record as saying they were wrong. She would have gotten over. She would have been huge. Um, and uh, and like I said, she's got this second chance to do something she loves, and I hope people will get behind it. Uh, so I'm really happy to have her uh, at my show, and I'm aware these are run-on sentences from a New York Times number one best-selling author, so in one sense I'm ashamed of that, Scott. In the other sense, I'm just really excited, and I think you guys will forgive me for the grammatical errors um, but I'm, yeah, we're donating, she's coming to the show and we're donating a hundred percent of ticket sales and merchandise that night. In addition to a hundred percent of merchandise sales from all of my, uh, uh, November shows. And I really believe that we can get her to her goal or at least get close if people get behind it. 
And, you know, she, she mentioned even on this, uh, in the Wrestling Inc. podcast, the Winkly that they, we do each week, um, just, uh, just how much this means to her just in the food truck. I mean, she, from pork to beans and sauces, she does everything herself. I mean, I, I have a bottle of her sauce in my pantry right now. So I don't know, but Nick, have you, have, have you had her food yet? I mean, have you, have you tried it over there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm a believer. Uh, I mean, I've been trying to cut back on meat, but uh, that's not the time to do it when you're at ODB's truck. So, like, uh, <laughs> at the uh, StarCast, yeah, I walked away with the big cup of, I think of like a cup of meat, you know, and it's delicious. It's just, it's, uh, you know, the pulled pork and the beans she makes herself and the slaw all served uh all served together, and it's tremendous. So uh, I think, you know, I know <laughs> we're not supposed to talk on polit- about politics, right? You divide the nation. But this term quid pro quo keeps coming up, you know. And I want to make it clear that there is a quid pro quo here. Because if I can get ODB to her <laughs> goal, I think I'm good for free cups of meat for the uh, – <laughs> <laughs> the next few years, yeah. So I'm going to. I want to your workout, uh, then. I know I might have to do some more DDP yoga, but it's delicious food, uh, and it's made by someone who really cares and who uh, I think we should be caring about. And uh, you know, you talked about being a New York Times best-selling author. It all started with you know your first bestseller, um, and then you're doing a tour in regard to that with your Nice Day tour. Just talk about what it's been like to kind of formulate this show. I know we've talked over the years about you know, just the care that you put into these shows and just being able to tell your story and just make it unique and also involve non-wrestling fans as well who can relate to the stories that you're telling. Um, just what, what what's it about this one that, you know, it sure makes very special to you in, in many ways, but if you just talk about just the show itself, what people can expect that go to, you know, these tours, yeah, maybe someone yeah, sure. who, who's seen you before too. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's almost a completely different show than I've done before. I'm talking about subjects that I've never dealt with uh, on my, um, you know, on stage. A lot of the uh, formative years and the crazy stuff that happened along the way. And I just, I started it out, I think, October 8th in Buffalo. And I just thought, you know what, I'm not, I don't have a single note. I never go out there with a plan. Uh, I'm just seeing what unfolds. And it's been a lot of fun. Like, uh, for example, at Wichita Falls at the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, um, I just decided to, you know, make it a tribute to Terry Funk. And so the stories revolved around Terry and his influence in my career. You know, other nights uh, might be, you know, the, the WCW slash WWE years. And then, of course, we always open it up to a Q&A. So if I don't hit on subjects that, uh, you know, fans wanted to hear, uh, they can feel free to ask me, uh, uh, you know, ask me questions and I love you know the fans that I draw they're, they're really respectful they're very knowledgeable and uh, we usually get some great questions out of it and then uh, my mind is constantly turning to think of ways that I can turn one of their questions or stories into that one f-bomb I drop at the end of each show <laughs> yeah I remember that one with uh, Trina Michaels that's the <laughs> you always, cause I, you always draw, it, keeps, it keeps the audience listening though that's a, it's a good listening there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trina, Trina is such an amazing sport. She'll be at the show on uh, November 10th. Uh, I'm not sure we'll reprise that particular story. <laughs> but she is, uh, yeah, she's uh, she's a great sport, and that was maybe my all-time favorite uh, dropping of the F-bomb. Uh, so. 
Yeah, but I can't promise I'll have something quite that interesting on tap. But every night I make it, I try to make it fun, and I figure if I'm having fun, uh, the audience will too. Yeah, and lastly, um, and I'll let you go, Mick, because I know you're you're in the middle of everything going on. Um, just, to, I just wanted to get your thoughts on just the wrestling landscape this year. It's just been crazy. It's been, um, we're seeing the the theme, you know. Uh, the creative that's been going on with that, and, and you had you were involved a little bit in, in that, and the transformation that we've seen with Bray Wyatt. We've seen AEW come up with creatively, and then their kind of approach to the business is changing. You have the Fox deal, you have USA deal. Just have you? What, how would you kind of sum up this year, and just what is it like for you to kind of stand back and if you've been in this business for so long and, and see this kind of um, almost like a wrestling boom again that, of what we're seeing with with accessibility with streaming services and more companies getting more opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll quote uh, R.J. City, uh, Canadian wrestler R.J. City, who said it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. It's not a great time to be the romantic partner of a wrestling fan because <laughs> quite a bit of time is taken up. Oh, man, in 85, you know, 83 through like 86, I just watched anything I that was on there. And some of it wasn't all that good. You know, there were times, honestly, when I'd be forcing my, I won't say which promotion, but there was a promotion that was kind of tough to watch, and I felt like I should watch it just because I was a wrestling fan. Um, but all of these products... Are, are really good. Um, I want to see the studio wrestling uh, that NWA is doing. It just sounds exciting, and you know I love wrestling in studios. It's got a feel that uh, you know you can't mimic in the bigger arenas. It's uh, and it's uh, something I hope works for everyone. I heard that uh, uh, Impact had a had a great event uh, last night. Um, I need to check them out, and of course I need to continue to watch. Uh, uh, WWE on USA and Fox, and uh, uh, my son is working for the NXT show, and that's uh, really exciting. And, uh, you know, the AEW thing, like you said, has got their own thing going, and I hope it's a big success for everyone involved. Is there anyone right now that kind of you've become a fan of, uh, like a, maybe a new face that's kind of really grown on you from the little bits that you've been watching? And yeah, product? you know, I hadn't seen um, uh, the original Bro. Uh, I had taken some time off. I hadn't watched a lot of wrestling until the Wednesday night war started, but I've been really impressed uh, with him. And, uh, you know, it kills me to say it, but Rhea Ripley has a huge future. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who has not impressed me. So the talent is so, uh, you know, there's never been a better, deeper roster, you know, roster in general. Um, than there is right now. Uh, you know, yeah, even sure. in talking, I completely, I completely forgot about ROH um, and the independents, uh, which uh, rarely put on a bad show these days. Yeah, and then you mentioned your son being a part of it. That's got to be rewarding for you to kind of see him work on a brand now. Kind of like he's getting his foot in the door the last couple of years, but now NXT is kind of growing, so he has another platform to work on too. So that's that's got to be kind of rewarding for you as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I all this time, I've you know, I, I guess uh, Bill Watts's son was in creative, uh, Michael Watts. Uh, so there is a precedent for second generation, um, you know, a member of a wrestling family being in creative. But that was always uh, Dewey's goal and dream. He didn't want to be a wrestler. He wanted to write. He loved uh, questioning me about the creative process. Uh, was always fascinated by storylines and interviews. 
always full of questions, and, and hopefully all that uh, has paid off for them. Yeah, and then maybe uh, Rhea will want to get on your good side because then uh, maybe Dewey will have some effect on if otherwise that doesn't happen. Uh, it would be such a disappointment. The, time, the moment she finally says something nice, it will be a big disappointment. Um, but, yeah, I think she's she's got a great future, and uh, uh, that future's bright for the business in general. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much, Mick, for taking time out. Um, I know you're on your social medias. Uh, people can find more information on what you're doing to help with ODB. And um, ODB Socials also has her, her fundraising page as well. So Yeah, yeah. On, people can go on uh, Twitter especially. You know, I believe it's the ODB BAM, and I'm at Real Mick Foley. And I am, um, you know, trying to mention this event as much as I can. And so I really, I really hope everyone out there is listening and just take the time to hashtag ODB Appreciation Day on November 10th. And if they are in a position where they can donate, you know, every little bit counts. You know, we're looking for $10 donations, but uh, five works as well. One, you know, he obviously... That's about to disparage people making one dollar donations, but we uh, would appreciate those as well. And then uh, we'll we'll have a couple people really step up, and uh, you know, at, especially in San Jose, and get the merchandise package, um, and really, uh, you know, hopefully buy tickets and make that a profitable evening. And I think we can get it really close to that uh, to that goal in uh, in one day on November tenth. No doubt about it. So. All right. Well, we'll definitely look forward to seeing what comes of this. So uh, definitely going to get the word out. So thanks so much, Mick. All right. You got it, Scott. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. My guest at this time is the current Black Label Pro Midwest champion. In conjunction with Black Label Pro and Game Changer Wrestling, he will present for the culture as part of the collective next WrestleMania weekend. It is AJ Gray. AJ, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, you're welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, AJ. It's a snowy day here in Chicago, um, which is nice. It's the first snow of the year. It's beautiful. No, no, no. Snow's horrible. I don't know what you're talking about. It snowed in Tennessee. That's how I know it's a bad sign. It's going to be a bad winter. <laughs> uh, well, that is unique. I did not know that it's snowing in Tennessee. Um, well, you know. Well, it snowed for a little bit this morning. Snowed just a little flurry this morning. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, yeah, no, AJ, before we get into all this stuff, because obviously for the culture, very buzzy right now, and we're going to talk about Black Label Pro and everything else you're doing. But for those, uh, those fans out there that may not be familiar with you, how would you describe AJ Gray to a new fan? How would I describe AJ Gray? Um, um, huh. uh, if you take a DMX song and put it into a human being, that's AJ Gray. Okay, that's pretty. It's a combination of DMX and Motley Crue. I don't really know how to like describe it else. Okay. Well, what brought you into wrestling? Who trained you? What was your experience like up till this point? Um. Well, what brought me into wrestling, I got done playing football, and I got done powerlifting, and I was honestly kind of bored, just doing nothing. So I was like, hey, I always wanted to wrestle. It's one of my dreams as a kid. So I honestly, I got on YouTube. I looked up how to bump, how to hit the ropes, and I went to this really, really shindy place here in Tennessee, and then they let me wrestle because they thought I was trained. So I was like, all right, cool. And then I ended up meeting Colin Delaney, and he ended up actually showing me the ins and outs of professional wrestling. Okay. Okay, well, that's nice. Colin Delaney, awesome dude. I didn't know he was the one that kind of took you under his wing. Yeah, he had moved down here to Tennessee for a little bit. Okay. Okay, well, cool. 
Um, we'll talk. Let's let's get to for the culture here, man. This is a big deal. Obviously, the the, the hashtag has been trending here for days now. Uh, why are you GCW and, and Black Label getting together here to present for the culture? Uh, Black Label's not a part of it. Oh, they're not. Okay. Well, I just know that it's like it's like an amalgamation of things as the collective here. All right. Well, my bad. It's just you and GCW yes. working on the uh, for yes. the culture. Then okay. It essentially is going to be in the same light as say Effie's Big Gay Brunch or Marcus Crane's Bondage Go Go. It's under the collective banner. It's under the GCW banner, but it's going to have a lot more input from me compared to is if it was just their show. Because I have a lot of creative input with this show. Yeah. And, and tell me, what do, you want, what do you want this show to look like and feel like? What, is, what, are you, what are you hoping to present here with For the Collective or For the Culture? I'm hoping, I'm hoping to give people of color the biggest, the biggest platform we've ever had on a wrestling stage. That's what my hopes and dreams of this event are. That literally the people of color finally have, whether they be wrestling fans or wrestlers in themselves, have something to go to. Because there's many times where, like, an ethnic wrestling fan will feel left out in a normal independent wrestling crowd because they're not mixed. They're not highly the melting pot we think of. They're predominantly white. And it's not a negative. I appreciate all fans, but it's not comfortable for a lot of people to be in situations like that so i want to like give them something to look for i got you i got you do you think that's getting better i mean do you think we're making progress is as making pro wrestling more welcome for for people of color people of color uh we're taking a huge step with like a gigantic step with this yeah i mean we've we've been taking steps but every time we take a step forward somehow we take a step backwards okay do you want to give me examples of that like when you say that is there anything that comes to mind uh, the same day as I announced my show, we have Jordan Miles, who clearly has somehow had a T-shirt slipped through the cracks when it's openly racist. It's openly a, just insensitive and offending to him as a person. Yeah. Like, every time something happens, great. Kofi Kingston wins at WrestleMania. Then he has the car pulled out from under him in nine seconds. Yeah. It's always a positive, and it's always a negative to pull it back. It's yeah. always a positive, and it's always a negative to pull it back. I'm hoping that we can get some momentum rolling to where it's positive, 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 positive. Yeah. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think it's cool that you're stepping up to, to work here with GCW on this. You know, one, one thing that I've definitely noticed about the indies and pro wrestling in general is I feel like there's no – promoters that are people of color and there's like no women promoters why do you think that is uh honestly i can't answer that question because i genuinely don't know it's weird I'm, right i'm guessing that i'm guessing that the people who have the money to be able to do that just don't have the don't have the i don't know the passion to do it because promoting a show it takes passion it takes drive it takes heart Mm-hmm. Their heart's not into it, so they don't want to spend their money on it. So I can understand why they won't, don't want to do it. Yeah, I guess. It's just always been something really interesting to me. You know, I've been saying forever, I'm like, I would love to talk to a black wrestling promoter, a female wrestling promoter. I guess there's one in Japan. I guess there's a lady wrestling promoter over there. But that's like it, man, you know? So I'm, I'm very interested in this. You know, and for, for you putting together this show here, 
you know, and with the input that you've got, I mean, what do you think that pro wrestling doesn't have right now that could better engage people of color in the African-American community? Uh, we need better representation at all levels. Because if you think, just look at our kids. Look at, look at the, like, I'm going to use the African-American community as an example. Okay. What do our kids relate to the most? They relate to hip-hop. They relate to athletics. Why? Because the face of hip-hop and the face of athletics. You have LeBron James, who's honestly one of the biggest athletes of all time. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, people of such like that. Barry, well, even though Barry Bonds is an awful example right now because of steroid trouble, at one time he was one of the biggest athletes of all time, Ken Griffey Jr., of course, we're gonna look at football. We're gonna we're gonna relate to them because we see ourselves in them. Hip hop, hip hop is a black created thing. So of course we're gonna we're gonna uh, gravitate towards that. In wrestling, we don't have that representation. Yeah. We had The Rock, but even then, every time we want to claim The Rock is one of us, we're told, "Oh no, you can't claim that. He's half Samoan. Oh no, you can't do this. You can't do that." We don't have that representation and with with you uh uh, aj when you come to promoters with ideas and things that you want to be trying out or maybe things you'd like to to see on shows that could help fill in that gap i mean are you usually received well by that or do you find that that's a struggle to try to integrate a lot of the stuff that you're talking about usually honestly now i just gave up hope and pitching a lot of my ideas Hmm. because i feel like they will be like the general concept and the general intent will get lost in translation between help, like running it with someone else. I like to keep my ideas for the most part to myself because I'm the one who hopefully one day can put all of them to fruition. Yeah. And then when I do that, there won't be a middleman. There won't be a way to get miscommunicated because I'm communicating with myself to do these things. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that's it's interesting to hear. It's kind of makes me sad to hear you say that you like don't feel like you can come forward and have your ideas be heard and executed on. You know, I'll get back to Jordan Miles here a little bit. You know, when you saw what he wrote and he put out there, his reactions to to the shirt and you know the other things that he said. You know, do you relate? Like, how do you re- how do you how do you react when you you read what he put out there? When I how do I react? I react with genuine hurt because I am from Tennessee. I am from the South. I feel what he went through because I felt racism straight up directly in my face. I live with it where people people think racism, oh, racism is getting better. In certain communities, racism is the exact same. It's the exact same, and it doesn't seem like it's changing much at all. Mm-hmm. So I live with that. So yeah. I feel that hurt because when I saw that, it instantly like made me speechless. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I couldn't gather words to even like think of a statement to talk about it. I still have hard times putting that into words. How, how did you How did you feel about WWE's press release responding to the tweets where they you know insinuated he had say in the the shirt and everything? I mean, what was your reaction to to their release? I mean, I'm sure they're trying to save face in the whole situation. Honestly, I didn't look at it. I, I didn't look at it. I okay. tried to put that. I tried to like block that out almost because I don't want to drag myself into a negative hole. Yeah. That's what that will do. Yeah. So I've tried to block it out. 
so but like when you see stuff like this you know you're you're on the cusp here right now aj i mean you're getting your own show as part of the collective which is you you know that's been a launching pad for a lot of big names here you know you're gonna have different roads you get to walk here in the coming years are you less likely to want to go to a wwe because of this or do you feel like this can be used as a learning experience and and in in some way um i feel honestly it makes me think more of that hey i want to do the i want to go places yes 100 percent, but i want to go there on my own terms to where i have control of things this makes me want to have control of things because i it shows that i can't i can't trust it, it takes my trust away even when i'm not even there so when i if i ever get the chance to be there I'm already walking in callous stuff. I'm already walking in scarred up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, on, on the same, to the same end, like, how do you feel about AEW right now? I mean, they seem to be trying to present a more diverse product right now. Uh, some people have said that that isn't the case. I mean, how do you feel about uh, the attempt AEW is trying to, trying to put forward right now? I mean, they have a lot to learn, <laughs> but they're a brand new company, so. Yeah you have to give them time to show their true intent. I can't write them off now because they've only been on TV for what? Four or five shows? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not writing them off, but then again, I'm not sitting there saying they're uh, on top of the point of being progressive and whatnot. Yeah. Well, and I want to get back here real fast. One more thing uh, on on Jordan Miles. You know, you obviously, you're doing for the culture. Did he adopt the hashtag because of the name of your show, or was this just like two things that were disparate that just happened to come together? I'm not really clear on exactly how the hashtag okay. got picked up here. So, he, I didn't know he hashtagged some of his – I didn't see all of his tweets. I saw the one originally of the shirt. Okay. That's the only one I saw. I didn't see the one – that stemmed from that. I didn't know he used a hashtag at all. I had named the show days prior. I honestly had the graphic in my phone waiting to like announce it because it was supposed to be announced on that Friday, I believe. Okay. And then we just didn't get around to it. So the show had already been named for the culture way before the situation with Jordan Miles happened. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. <clears throat> I, I just was a little – I wasn't totally clear on exactly the order there because obviously the, the big question I'm getting asked <laughs> by a lot of people would be, do you think there's a chance Jordan Miles shows up at For the Culture? I don't know if you've made contact with him at all, but it seems to be something people, just because of the circumstances, I think they've kind of convinced themselves there's a chance that this is going to come together. Uh, well, there's there's a certain crowd out there that thinks that this is all one – one long work together, which it's not. Okay. It's two things that happened coincidentally, but neither one of them happened together with any kind of communication about. Okay. Okay. So you're so you're not going to confirm nor deny that Jordan Miles is going to be up for the culture. I'm not going to confirm or deny anyone's going to be there outside <laughs> myself. I haven't put the show together yet. Okay, okay. Well, let's shift away from him. I had to put you on the spot, though, because I, dude, I, I, you know, I'm sure you're getting the tweets about it. I think people have convinced themselves that they're going to see ACH and, and for the culture at this point, you know? So, I don't know. You know, 
crazy time. I can't tell you who's going to be there right now. I can't tell you who's not going to be there right now. But what I can tell you is this might be the most colorful, and I think it has it. I think it has the potential to be one of the best shows the entire weekend, if not all of 2020. Okay. Well, you know, let's take a look at the the kind of circumstances you're in here right now. Because like I brought up earlier, you know, the collective, the the GCW shows, these have become real launching pads for people's careers. Do you feel a pressure right now hosting your own show, kind of like Joey's, Joey Janela's done and and Barnett and others before you? No, I don't because actually I do and I don't. I don't feel pressure because this is not AJ Gray's for the culture. This is not... This is for the culture. The show is for the culture. Okay. It's its own entity. It's not it's not like my show, me presenting a show. This is a show for us that is going to be by us. And us being people of color. So I don't feel pressure that this is a launching pad. I feel like this is a launching pad for the people that are just like me. For the people of the same skin color. The people who have had the same experiences in wrestling as me, racially wise. That's that's what this is for. You want to talk this to me? Is, yeah, go sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Like with Joey's show, it is not a knock on Joey, but it was Joey putting a show on for him. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Sure. This isn't a this isn't about me at all. This is about my community and my people. This is how we grew up. We want I want something for us. It's no it's AJ Gray doesn't exist without my culture. Uh, so I want to put my culture on, not put myself on. How has it been working? But I do, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, no, I, I, didn't mean I, to was, I was finishing up the second part of the question where I do feel pressure about it. Okay. Because I do feel pressure that I want to make sure this lives up for everybody. Lives up for every single face in the crowd. Lives up for every single one of the boys in the locker room. Every single bit of the staff. I want this to live up to them because this can be a launching pad for all of us together in the same breath as not trying to be a launching pad for myself. It can, it could be a launching pad for every single one of us that ethnic talents. You know, and I love Marcus and Effie. Those guys are great, but I, I, you know, this, there's a huge spotlight right now on this show. I mean, there's a lot of buzz around it. Obviously there's kind of this weird amalgamation that's come from what happened with Jordan too. But I hear a lot of stuff, a lot of people talking about this show right now. And, you know, for you, AJ, how has it been working with GCW and Brett Lauderdale, a white guy? Like, what, how did this come together? Like, what, what's his input? What's his, what's his words of wisdom for you as you've been putting this together? Um, he's just helping me from the standpoint of not trying to do too much in the allotted time that I have for the show. Okay. But... First thing, me and Brett have been genuine friends for a couple of years now. So we talk all the time. So with him helping me with this, it's more of a trustworthy feeling because I know it's someone who has my back helping me with this, not someone who's just money and that's all they care about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brett's a cool dude. Um, for, and for you, AJ, like, I, you know, I put you over here as, you know, how cool this spot is and, you know, how you're going to be able to walk a couple paths and everything, but being in the wrestling boom right now that we're kind of in, you know, and with everybody getting picked up and more opportunities being created, what's that just like for you? Talk to me about what it like, it feels like to be kind of in the position you are where I feel like there is a lot of opportunity for you right now. Oh, I love it. 
because when I started, this this wasn't a thing. The way this the way this is moving so fast, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. Like a lot of the young kids would have to eat shit. <laughs> a lot of the kids that were in my position yeah. in 2015 had to sit there and eat shit because it wasn't the same amount of opportunity. It was way more guys on the indies that are now fully contracted workers. So it's just, it's beautiful to me. It's beautiful that it's so much opportunity in wrestling right now. Yeah. That's a beautiful sight because we haven't seen something like this since the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And that's almost, that's over 20 years ago. So for the past 20 years, we've been kind of stuck to where you want to make money in this, you have to go to one place. Now, if you want to make money in this, it's so many different outlets for it. Yeah. And and for you, you know, I'll wrap it up by asking, you know, what's your ultimate goal in all this? Do you have, like, one thing, a match, a moment, a title? Is there something that you want out of this that would, that would make it all worth it for you? Um, what would make it all worth it for me? Yeah. Is to be when I end up having a family one day, when I end up having a wife, when I have, have a child, to make sure that they're fully taken care of, that they won't ever have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from. They won't have to struggle through wrestling. I want wrestling to provide that platform to make sure that my family is well off. Nice. Well said. Uh, well, it goes down for the culture next WrestleMania weekend. AJ, uh, is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview today? Uh, yeah, you can. Oh, hold on. Let me pull up the collective Twitter handle. Yeah, do oh, it. Get off the phone. Sorry, something fell on my phone. Um, first, you can follow me at Twitter and Instagram at Rich Homie Juice. I'm pulling the collective online up right now. You can follow Game Changer Wrestling at Game Changer Wrestling. And you can follow the collective at Collective 2020. 80s Wrestling Con Part 2 continues. We're here with WWE Hall of Famer Tito Santana, of course, one of the greatest intercontinental champions of all time as well in WWE history. Tito, uh, awesome to see you here today and uh, talk about meeting all your fans here and how cool this 80s style wrestling con is. Well, I mean, this is my first time here. I, I guess this is the second time they've had it in this building. And uh, I got here early because I wanted to see, you know, I got to see Mr. Wonderful, uh, B. Brian Blair, Jim Brunzel, Demolition, Bob Backlund, Sergeant Slaughter, the Million Dollar Man, Tatanka. You know, there's so many guys from the 80s. Unfortunately, there's a lot of them that aren't around anymore. So it's really an honor to, to be able to see uh, and just chat with him for a little while even. Yeah, and uh, obviously uh, you see some of these old friends and faces. You reminisce about those great times in the industry. Uh, looking back on your career, what would be the greatest moment of your career? I know that I was watching an old King of the Ring, probably not one of the greatest moments, but you were there that night when Mick Foley went off the cell as a commentator, uh, firsthand through that table. <laughs> I mean, it was just so many wild moments. What do you reflect on most? Well, you know, coming from a small town, uh, you know, I, I keep saying this, that the first time that I stepped into Madison Square Garden, you know, it was a huge place and, you know, just the, the, the wrestling fans were just nuts, you know, they, they just uh, love their wrestling and you know, I had a lot of great moments, but, you know, 
coming from a small town, you know, that was that was a real pleasure for me to step into MSG. Yeah, nothing bigger than the world's most famous arena. And Tito, I've interviewed a few times uh, with you before, and we talked about the how you actually didn't like the El Matador gimmick. That was one of your least favorite gimmicks, huh? Well, it, 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 the reason I didn't like it is because uh, they promised me that they were going to do, you know, yeah. something with it, and, and they didn't do anything with it. You yeah. know, it, it was uh, something that Vince created just to x me out. Yeah. Well, at the same token, Strike Force. You go back, tag team champions. Everyone remembers that WrestleMania churn with Rick Martel, and it set up a, a feud, obviously, with you guys. And going back on that, I mean, it was such a shocking moment where Strike Force actually broke up, and certainly a lot of tag teams here today from the '80s. Yeah, you know, uh, we were a great tag team, and uh, the split was not something that I expected. You know, something happened in uh, Rick's uh, family's life, and they had to take a break. He had to take a break, and, you know, things happen in life, but, you know, so we ended up splitting up. Yeah. And Tito, a final question right now with the legendary Tito Santana here is. A lot of competition right now, a lot of indies out there. AEW, WWE now is going off big. What does wrestling need more than ever now in terms of whether it's storytelling, athleticism, you name it? Well, it, it, first of all, it needs competition. And, and I do think that old school works. You yeah. know, uh, the writers that are, you know, the WWE's, you know, is completely different. You know, it's, it's, it's a different, uh, it's entertainment. You know, it's a TV. So. They, they rehearse the whole match and, you know, the guys don't understand psychology. Old school still works and, I, and I'm glad to see that there's a, you know, a rise of, of new uh, organizations and I, and I wish them nothing but the best. Well, Tito, we want to say thank you for taking the time. There's really only one way to end this interview and that's Arriba, right? Arriba! Arriba! Thank you, Michael Weissman. You are incredible. We did it. I'm very we did it. I'm very proud of the work we did here today, piecing together all these stories and kind of bouncing facts and, and reports off of each other. I thought I thought I think we gave everybody a pretty clear image of what is going on with the with the Saudi situation. I hope we did at least. You know, I, I think we did. Yeah, absolutely. And you, if you don't, if this wasn't enough, go back and listen to Friday's podcast first, and you can have you know three hours of just nonstop <laughs> Michael and what was it, Hosman and Wiseman? Hosman and Wiseman. Hosman. How long have you known Hosman? Hosman. Hosman. Gee, Hosman. Well, you got to have that great Hosman and Wiseman. No, Hausman and Wiseman. Hosman. Dan Hausman. We got to get him on here. <laughs> Hausman and Dan Hausman. Dan Housen. Uh, all right. Well, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with another episode of The Winkly. I'll have Justin Labar with me. And also this weekend, I'm headed to Baltimore. I'm going to be on site at StarCast. And uh, I will also be at Full Gear. I'll be participating in the media scrums. And uh, I, I'll announce it here as well. Uh, on Sunday, I am going to be interviewing Paul Walter Hauser, who just wants to review Full Gear and talk AEW stuff. I mean, we can maybe work in a few other questions. But that the reason I think that is so cool is Paul Walter Hauser, again, if you haven't seen Black Klansman, he's in Itania. He's currently filming Cruella in London for Disney, a live-action remake where he's like Emma Stone's lackey, flunky sidekick who is Cruella, and he's going to take time out of, of that to do an interview with me and talk about AEW Full Gear. How, how effing awesome is that? Dude, uh, he, he's an awesome guy, great talent. He's in some movie coming out up soon that I saw yes. a preview for, and I was like, what is it? The Ballad of Richard Jewell. Yes. Yeah, he's like, dude, this movie was directed by Clint Eastwood. He's yes. the lead. I watched this thing and I was like, is Paul going to get nominated for an Oscar? Maybe. 
I don't know. Um, he's a very talented actor, and the movie is about. I feel like I'm just giving him free publicity right now, but the movie is about Richard Jewell, who was a security guard at the was it 98, 96 Olympics in Atlanta, where there was the the bomber, and mm-hmm. uh, it's about. Some people thought that he was the bomber. Some people think he caught the bomber. A lot of issues around that. It looks very very compelling. I can't wait to watch it. Talented cast. He's up up alongside there. And he's gonna yeah. talk to me on Sunday about AEW. How, how great is that? So. <laughs> Top it all off. The, the highlight of his his year talking to Nick. I always tell him that. I'm like, you're very lucky to have me as a friend. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, and also tomorrow. On that note, uh, speaking of AEW, a big interview tomorrow. Conrad Thompson uh, talking all about Starcast Four, uh, putting it all together. We look back on working with CM Punk at Starcast Three. And uh, we talk about Bischoff being let go from WWE. I mean, really, you know, because obviously I did the podcast with Eric. Conrad's doing it now. Um, interesting punditry, I think, about Eric Bischoff and his future. You guys will uh, you will enjoy on tomorrow's show. Uh, on top of that, um, Andy Malnoski back with another Andy interview. J.J. Dillon. I thought Conrad Thompson and J.J. Dillon, good combo. Uh, and we also have our last pre-Bound for Glory interview uh, from Brian Wool, this one features Josh Matthews. So Conrad, JJ, and Josh Matthews here tomorrow. If you like this show, you like all the Wrestling Inc. audio, head over to the Wrestling Inc. audio channel on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating, nice comment. All that stuff's always appreciated. And, and tweet us. Tweet me. You know, fan art. You know, whatever. Tweet me. Fan so, art. So, do, uh, do fan art for this podcast. Weekly fan art. I don't know. All right. Anyway, Michael, what do you want to what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the show today? Uh, I'll be back Friday night for the SmackDown Post Game Show, as I am every week. Um, but in the meantime, if you like what we do here and you want to get a little bit more of my wrestling insight, follow me on Twitter. I am at the Rolls Wiseman, and I put put together a little eight tweet post today on Twitter about why, even though they did an XT angle on both SmackDown and Raw this week. It just didn't really work on Raw, and I have some theories about that. So that's on Twitter right, right now, so follow all right. me. All right, all right. And, yes, I'm at Wink Rebel, W-I-N-C Rebel, over on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs>